who was going to open up a new coffee shop. And a friend of hers decided she wanted to send flowers to this friend who was opening up this coffee shop. So she called the florist and had them put together a beautiful flower floral arrangement to send to this new business. Well, when the flowers arrived and the business owner uh, looked at the card, uh, it said, rest in peace. And she thought, what? Rest in peace? And she said, that florist upset. She called the florist and she gave her a piece of her mind. You know, how dare you make that kind of mistake? Well, the florist quietly said, I am so sorry about our error. It is entirely our mistake. Please accept our apology. We are so, so sorry. But just so you know, somewhere at a funeral, there's a floor, floor arrangement that says congratulations on your new location. <laughs> so both were beautiful floral arrangements that attempted to get a message across. The sentiment was moving. This story sort of sums up what I've been trying to get across the last several weeks as we've been studying the general epistles, as we've been going over James and we've been going over First and Second Peter, we've been going over Jude, and today we're going to be looking at First, Second, and Third John. These two floral arrangements—they might even been some of the same exact flowers in the arrangement, but one of them was appropriate for one business, the message. The other message, beautiful flowers, beautiful sentiment, but it was for another business, another occasion. And so it's important that even as beautiful and as, as wonderful and as thoughtful, you need to make sure as you read the message that it's the right people are receiving the right message. Does that make sense? Well, as we study the general epistles and we see just what some people, and usually it's those that question the Word of God, that there are discrepancies in James as it differs from Romans. There are discrepancies in 1st, 2nd Peter and, uh, it, and all that's going on. And actually, James in 1st Peter and even John, to, as we're going to see today, ad addresses their books to a specific per person. So as you, you look through there, you realize these aren't discrepancies. They are distinctions. And these distinctions matter. 
And as you study the Word of God, it's important that, that you make those distinctions because if you don't, they're going to come across as discrepancies and then people are going to say, well, I don't believe that. That's just, there's just too many, too many differences. Well, yeah, there are. Because it depends on if you are talking about the kingdom program or the church, the body of Christ program. There's a big difference in which gospel you're going to be proclaiming, which offer of salvation. The same Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for the sins of the world, was buried, rose again. The kingdom could only be offered with those events accomplished. Israel could only come to the point where it could believe and become that nation of priests and enjoy all the blessings and the ministry that God was calling it to be with Christ going and accomplishing what he accomplished. The same with the church, the body of Christ. God could only be just and the justifier and save Gentiles by grace, see Christ going to the cross when it comes to Israel and, and the nation of Israel and the Jews being saved, it, it's all based on a covenant relationship that God had with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those promises, Christ came. All of those events were part of that program, part of that calling, part of that hope, part of those promises. The church, the body of Christ. Our hope, our promise is still based on what Christ died, the fact that Christ died. And that offer of salvation, not based on a covenant promise, a covenant agreement, but based on his grace. That he could say, I'm going to save Gentile and Jew, not I'm going, okay, Gentile, I'm going to make you part of a nation. That's not what God did. I'm going to make you part of a body. And that truth came to that Saul of Tarsus, the chief of sinners, Paul. And so as, as we study these general epistles, and it's, we, we need to understand when James and Jude and 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, Third John, and even next next we're going to get into, we need to understand that all the Scripture is for us. Amen. From Genesis to Revelation, all of the Scripture is for us. It is the Word of God. Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All Scripture is God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof. That's all Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, as we, as God's people, study the Word of God, there are lessons, there are things that we learn about God, who He is, about His program, about His promises. All of that is there, and it's God's Word, and we study it. We don't want to neglect any of it. But there are distinctions, there are things that are written to us that we embrace, that we look forward to, 
And as we get into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John today, I, I want that to be ever so real in your mind and in your thoughts. Both of those arrangements were beautiful arrangements. They're all sent with love and expressing heartfelt sentiment. But the sentiment expressed different messages. And as we look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John today, I stop sometime wondering, okay, do I go this direction because there's so much there? Or do I go this direction? And actually, before I came down here to preach, I, I've, been, I've been struggling with this all week as to do I go in, in this direction or do I go in that direction? Praying, but Lord, you provide the guidance. You provide the guidance. So even before I came down here, I was just praying earnestly, Lord, I want this to be clear. I want people to understand what, for, for, for your glory, Father, for so we can exalt you and it, that would enhance our study of your word so that we can appreciate all of your word and understand that there are principles that we need to be able to apply. And as we get into 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, uh, knowing that, that John even tells us he's writing to the elect uh, loved lady uh, talking about Israel, uh, Israel being the, the bride, being the wife of God, and identifies who, who he's writing to. But there's some principles in all of these, all of these general epistles that have principles that we as members of the body of Christ just need to grab hold of. In First, first John, we're going to find out very clearly that we're not to love the world. And you go over to the book of John, the book of John tells you not to love, not to love the world. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus tells us the world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. In 1 John, we know that we're to walk in love. That's, that's, pretty, that's good advice, isn't it? And that is the word of God. Christian, we, we're to walk in love. We're to test the spirits. can't tell you how important that is, is that we test the spirits. Is he that's and I can't this I've probably quoted this verse more just about more than any other verse that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world but it's in one of these general epistles that we have that John being one of the apostles that agreed when Paul came down to uh, to Jerusalem to tell James and Peter and John hey quit sending your people up here Quit sending your people up here. Just a second, George. Quit, quit sending your people up here and preaching truths that do not apply to these, to these Gentiles. And so they agreed, we're going to take the circumcision, we're going to take the circumcision, uh, to, uh, the gospel of the circumcision, you take the gospel of the uncircumcision. Two different gospels. Well, John was one of those who agreed to do that. And so his message, and keep this in mind, all through these general epistles, all through these general epistles, they had no idea how long this present dispensation was going to go. They understood that there had been some changes. They, had, they understood fully that 
the tribulation had not started when they thought that it was going to start. They were surprised, but they had no idea how long this church age was going to go. They had no idea. So they, were, they are, during this transition period, they are preaching the Word of God. They are teaching those Jews, those believers that were scattered, that, that escaped with their lives because of the persecution. They were absolutely uh, scattered because of that. They were teaching those people as if the tribulation was about to start. That's what these general epistles were all, were all about. And so they were, they were doing everything they could to equip the Jewish believers, those who believed that Christ was the Messiah, those who had believed the kingdom gospel, that the king was coming, he was going to establish his throne in Jerusalem, that the thousand-year reign, that the reign of Christ the Messiah was going to be established, that all of that was coming, they, they were equipping, they were teaching their people during that, during that time. So dear, keep this in mind. During this period of time, there are two programs running simultaneously. One, one program is starting to dwindle during this transition period. One is transitioning out. The other is coming on full steam, full bore. That's the church, the body of Christ, the dispensation, the grace of God, that message to the Gentiles that by grace, not by works, but by grace, God is offering salvation to whosoever believes. As we found out last week, even Peter told those Jewish believers who are saying, where is his coming? How come he hasn't come? They were telling him, he, he was telling them that God's not slack concerning his promise, but he's not willing that any should perish. Because he's not willing that any should perish, salvation is being offered to the Gentiles basically because Israel, you didn't do what God had called you to do. They reject, the nation of Israel rejected the Messiah. They did not believe that he was God. As a matter of fact, they crucified him. Why did they crucify him? Because he declared himself to be God. And in fact, that's the doctrine of Christ that John's going to talk about here in just a second. Turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We study as we study first, second, and third John, Christ is God incarnate in all three of them. Matter of fact, that is the important message that John sends home, tries to drive home throughout all three of these, these books. Now, this John is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. He's the same John that wrote the book of Revelation. And there are truths that he is driving home because there were a group of people who were telling lies. 
There was a group of people who were teaching falsehood, a group of people who considered themselves really spiritual, a group of people who thought of themselves as scholars. They were called uh, uh, Gnostics. And these Gnostics had some really weird beliefs. But one of their beliefs was that divine could not be, could not be human. And they taught that when Christ came, he was human, but as his baptism, he became divine. He was no longer human, and so uh, he, he, was, he was not human. So he was human for a while, but then he was no longer human. The book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, the whole, the whole these, all, three, all three of these epistles, the overriding thing is God incarnate, God in the flesh, is who Christ Jesus is. And it was important that he get that point across, that Christ is God incarnate, and the other is God is love. God is love, and that he loves you. You know, I, we, we talk about one of these days, I, I want to meet the Apostle Paul, because I want to meet Christ above all. I mean, that's, I want to meet the Lord Jesus, and I want to worship at his feet. But we're going to have all eternity to get to meet some of the other folks. And... I, I, I'm looking forward to meeting Paul, but this John, this guy is special. Number one, the Lord committed his mother's keeping to John. You, you, you know this fella had to be special if the Lord commits his mother to him for safekeeping. He is the one that the scripture keeps talking about, the one who uh, that the Savior loved. He is the one at the Last Supper that leaned against the Lord, that understood just exactly who Christ was. This guy was he was he was something special. So it doesn't surprise me that he wants to make sure that his listeners, his readers, whether in the Gospel of John or it's in one of the the general epistles of John, he wants to make sure his readers know that Christ is God, that Jesus of Nazareth is absolutely God in the flesh. Because see, the only one that can really take away your sins was God in the flesh. The only one that would uh, have the ability to die for your sins and would be the spotless, perfect Lamb of God. That's an incredibly important doctrinal position. So he wanted to make sure that the readers understood that because that's the thing that got Israel in trouble because they denied it. When he said that, that he was before Abraham, I was. Remember when he said that? What did, what did the, the nation of Israel, what did the religious leaders of Israel want to do when Christ said, basically said he was God? Say he was the son of God. They want to stone him. The reason they crucified him is because of who he declared himself to be. John wanted to make sure that they knew, hey, he is God. He is God. And the other thing he wanted to make sure, he wanted to make sure of is that you understood that he loved you. He loved you. Matter of fact, it's through the book of John, whether it be the gospel of John or these three general epistles of John, that we find that, that Christ is light, and we understand that God is love, and we understand that God is 
life. All three of those are important topics to John. Know that God is light. Look at, look at 1 John verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, where did he get that? Well, we know we got it from the Lord Jesus, but look at John chapter 8. The Gospel of John. Not 1 John, but the Gospel of John. Look at John chapter 8. Verse 12, Tim. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So it's from John that we understand that Christ is light. And he emphasizes it is from John that we understand that he is life. Look at 1 John 5.20. We're going to be going back and forth, so Tim's about to earn all of his money. 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come. And remember, claiming to be the Son of God is what caused them to say, crucify Him, crucify Him. For we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and we are in Him and in true, even in His Son Jesus Christ, This is the true God and eternal life. You want life? You have to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now see, this is true regardless of the dispensation, regardless of the, the program that they are operating and functioning under. That, that's true. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. If you're saved, you have eternal life. If you're lost, you don't have eternal life. You need the Son regardless of which program God is saving and working under. That's a true statement. Look at verse 13 of, of 1 John 5. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Where did he get that? Go to John 14. Man, he heard it from the source. He heard it from the source. John 14. Verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Is that a true statement? Is that true under this present dispensation? Absolutely. No man comes to the Father. You want to be saved? It has to be through Christ Jesus. And by the way, I don't apologize for believing that. 
I don't apologize for believing that there's only one way to the Father to be saved, and that is through Christ Jesus. I know the world scoffs at that. The world will even accuse you of not being very loving if you believe that. Folks, I think the opposite is true. I think you're not very loving if you don't proclaim that and you believe it and you know it. That Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Want to be saved? It has to be through Christ. In Acts chapter 4, it talks about there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what else John tells us he is? Tells us that he's light. Tells us that he's life. But it also tells us he's love. He's love. Last week we talked about a verse, or maybe it was two weeks ago, I don't remember, uh, that the whole world knows to quote. You know, and that's you know, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not. The rest of the Bible, they don't, they pretty much don't believe it, but boy, they believe, and they can quote that verse. Judge not. Well, this is another verse. This is the second most quoted verse by a lost world, and that is, God is love. Well, yeah, He is, but I got news for you folks. He is much, much more then God is love. See, they don't just say God is light. They don't say God is light. But God is love. And as long as you're loving, that's all that matters. Matter of fact, I think one of the, one of the most damnable heresies and lines that are going, that's going around nowadays, don't you believe it, don't you fall into that trap, is that love is love. Far from it. Far from it. But yes, God is love. And His Word breaks that down for us. He, we make sure he, that we know that. Look at 1 John 4. Verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. But that's not all He is. Yes, God is, is love. Look at verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and His love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It is John in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse, look, drop down to verse 19 of 1 John 4. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. I'm going to tell you something. If God didn't love you, number one, you wouldn't even know who he is. But see, he's revealed himself to us in two ways. Through the written word, and that's important, but oh, the way that's so important is through the living word. And it is John that we find out that it's Christ Jesus who has declared the Father. It is Christ who has declared the Father. 
If you want to know who the Father is, go back to John 14. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll suffice. What did Christ say to John or to Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Christ is God. And we have all of these, this written word declaring just exactly who Christ is. That he's God, and fortunately for you, he loves you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if God didn't love you? Can you imagine? Well, you used to be like Greek mythology then, wouldn't it? Well, all the thunderbolts and all the, or be sort of like Islam. It'd be sort of like things that, that, that preach a, a God of hate, a God of misery, a God of punishment. But know this, he is a God of love. And because of his great love, he has provided a way for everyone to know him and be redeemed and reconnected to him through that supreme sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Yes, he's a God of love, but you know what else he says? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He is also a God of wrath. He's a God of power. He's a God of might. Where do we go to find out who God is? We go to His Word to know His character, to know His attributes, to know who He is. He loves us. He cares so much for us. He has given us His Word and said, Here, read all about me in His Word. That's why it surprises me that so many people never even open this during the week. Or never even open it. You'd think that people would be a whole lot more curious about who this God is that's their creator, who is their sustainer. I mean, it's because of his great love that you're even sustained. When you stop and think about, he's the one that holds the planet and the stars and this earth and all the things that go into enabling us to sit here and not flying around like a bunch of particles. It's His great power. It's His great love that sustains us, that redeems us. Read all about it. But the way that we know the Father, personally, the way that we have a real... See, it's one thing to know about God. It's another to know Him. And we know him through Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. God incarnate. In order for us to have that salvation, God knew exactly what he had to do. So God is light. Thank you, John. God is love. Thank you, John, for telling us. He is life. He is life. Look at 1 John 2. I wrote that down. I, I'm curious as to why I wrote that down. Go to John 2, verse 25. Oh, I'm talking about life. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Well, you go back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. 
vitally important that is that we know him. And by the way, not only are we working to get microphones over there, we are working to get this new microphone. Got this one fixed. So this one, uh, that got that one fixed. But this one, I'm, I'm looking forward to retiring it one day. Where you, where you all are? Yeah. First John 4, 7. Not only does it tell us that God loves us as believers. Look at verse 7. But love, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth, his, that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, a covering, a payment in full. John is making sure these, and I believe this is just going to jump off the pages to the tribulation saints, to those during that time, jumps off the page to us too, as we, we understand. Uh, you go to Romans chapter 3, 25, Paul tells the Gentiles that, the same thing. As a matter of fact, look at Romans chapter 3. Verse 25. Who God hath sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What does the word propitiation mean? Propitiation. What, what does it mean? It's more than just a covering. It's more than an atonement. It's more than just a payment. And it's important that we recognize this. Propitiation means pacifying the wrath of God in its entirety. You understand the importance of that? It's not just God saying, okay, I'm going to cover their sins. It, it is so obvious. It is so wonderful. It is so glorious that God tells us that He is our propitiation. He is the one who died in order to pacify God's wrath against sin. What a plan of salvation. How many are sinners? Anybody here never sinned? Anybody? Gary, you almost raised your hand. We've all sinned. What that means, we've come short of the glory of God. Amen? So we need someone who's not sinner who's willing to pay that debt on our behalf. That's what First John tells us that he is. He is our propitiation. John brings that out in First John 2.2 2 and also 4.10. He talks about the same thing. 
of battling the Gnostics, battling the Gnostics, battling those group of men who were preaching a false doctrine that was so dangerous, and it wasn't a gospel, it wasn't good news, it was false news, and their heresy taught that all matter is evil and divine cannot take human form, and so Christ was really not God. And that's what John is all about, making sure that you know that Christ was God. John has a resounding no. The Gnostics believe that there was a man, Jesus, that there was a spiritual Christ. There were two distinct figures. And John says, "Uh uh-uh, don't you believe that? Don't go there. All three books, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they refute some aspect of Gnosticism, this heresy. 1st John really pushes the reality of the incarnation. 2nd John tells us, do not, told them, do not even let them inside your home. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't have any fellowship with them. Third John talks about the divisiveness of those who had worked their way into their assembly. And he, in Third John, he talks about Gaius and, and Demetrius and how wonderful they are and their ministry and how much is appreciated. But Diophatrus, the the D-man, if you know how to pronounce it, go to that. How, how divisive he was, how uh, destructive he was. And Christine tells us we mark those that cause division, and what do we do? We avoid them. We avoid them. But it was all three books. He makes sure that we understand not to let those who are false teachers into the room. Now, when I say that, let me me explain something. You're not going to believe this, but this is true. One, I'm almost done. Two, not Everybody agrees with me on everything when it comes to Scripture. I know. And just because they do not agree with me on certain doctrinal issues, I mean, I have some brothers and sisters in Christ who do not believe in eternal security. And and to me, that's an important doctrine. And it tells me they really don't understand salvation. But I have friends who are not, they don't believe in a pre-trib. I've got friends that believe that we're already in the kingdom. I mean, and I believe those are But that's not what I'm talking about when it comes to false doctrine that you're not even have any fellowship with them because that's basically what John's telling these believers. These that have such 
false doctrine where they do not believe that Christ is God and they have such a strong hatred, you, you don't have anything to do with them. Matter of fact, I have friends that don't agree with me, but I love to get with them and talk Scripture and debate Scripture. There are people in this church that we go round and round on certain things. And that's okay. That's not what this is talking about. As a matter of fact, what is a cult? What is a cult? Because people said, well, you don't believe in water baptism, you're a cult. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous thing. Well, you don't start the church in Acts 2. You, you start the church in Acts 9 when the first member of the body of Christ is brought to Christ. Yeah, I, uh, and I can sit down with Scripture and show you why. And I don't think they should either believe that. But, I, I mean, I don't think they should believe that the church starts in Acts 2. I don't think they should believe that water baptism is for today. But I am not going to separate fellowship. I'm just going to keep praying for them and working with them and going over Scripture. Not believing, and it just irritates me to hear preachers that, that want to label a group just because they don't agree with them 100%. Well, that's a cult. Here's what a cult is. And boy, and that's what John was fighting here. Number one, a cult is... Who do they say Christ is? Who do they say Christ is? If they say he's God in the flesh, I'll listen to you. But if, they say, if somebody says that Christ is not God, if Jesus of Nazareth is not God, you back away. The second thing is what makes a cult is how do they say you're saved? Are you saved by works? plus faith today, or are you saved by faith, by grace through faith, not of works? If they say works enter in, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, those are cults because they believe you have to work for your salvation. They believe you have to do something in order to earn God's favor. Those are cults, nor do they believe that Jesus is God. That makes them cults because we may have different doctrinal issues with certain assemblies. I absolutely positively do not believe that the gift of tongues and the gift of healing and all of those sign gifts are for the church, the body of Christ today. I do not. I think I can take the scripture and show you why I don't believe those but I'm not going to break off fellowship with somebody. If he asked me, well, I spoke in tongues last night. What do you think of that? I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him what I think of that. In 2 John, 2 John, look at 2 John 1 real quick, real quick. 2 John chapter 1, there's only one chapter. 2 John chapter 1. Look at, starting with verse 7. This is what John was warning them about. For many deceivers are entered into the world, 
who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. And he that abides, abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. What was the doctrine of Christ? What was the overriding doctrine? John was getting across time after time after time or in these three books is Jesus Christ is God. You want to know where the doctrine of Christ, I believe, is summed up? Look at John chapter 10. Verse 30. John chapter 10, verse 30. Oh, I just, John, what an important, what a lovely man. What a lovely, lovely man he was. That makes sure we understand this. The doctrine of Christ is I and my Father are one. Jesus is Christ. Messiah. And not only is he the Messiah, but Jesus Christ, the one we worship, the one we adore, the one we praise, the one we bow down to, he is God. And he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning for that amazing love that you have for us. We thank you that we know that we serve a risen Savior. We know that we serve the one who went to Calvary's cross to pay the debt we owed. But Father, we don't just serve a man who had these high ideals, these lofty notions, but we serve the God of all creation who is the true God of all and we bow before you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us, how it teaches us, how it explains who you are to us. Now, Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who has never by faith trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they've never believed that he died for them, he was buried, and he rose again. Father, may this be the moment, may this be the day that they believe. And Father, may we ever be mindful that what we believe is important. Believe that all three of those things he did, but for them. And that as he did those, those three things, he was God incarnate, paying the debt that we owed. Father, we thank you for that plan of salvation. We stand before you in amazement. And we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.